If you could turn your Bibles uh, to Mark chapter 4, and I'm not real for sure uh, how long today's sermon is going to be because it's it's extremely a simple message today. I think it's simple but yet profound. And as you know, we've started the book of Mark, and it's all about the good news. And there's a few good news. The good news is not a few. It's really really one that I would like to point is that the proclamation is that God is in complete control. And God is a promise keeper. And He sent His Son into the world just as He promised from creation, from the fall, that He would send one, what? That would, uh, would squash, crush the serpent's head. Now, he would bruise the heel of the seed. Yes, we realize that, is that through the death of Christ Jesus, the, uh, the seed was bruised. And even us in this life, at times we receive bruising, but his, his head has been ultimately crushed by the triumphant of Jesus Christ over death and in his resurrection. But God said that I'm going to send a Messiah. He pointed to the Messiah all the way through. The Old Testament was pointing to this one, this Messiah that would come, this anointed one. We don't use this very often, but but I do, and, and I've held it since I've been a believer, is that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is my King. He is my Lord, and He's my Master. And that's who He is. He's what? He's the uh, Davidic covenant. He's the Davidic covenant filler. He, he is the Son of David. Came through the line of David. And no, not only that, He is the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that He would send a seed that would save the world and that seed would be more numerous than all the stars and all the sand of the seashore. If you think about Abraham receiving that promise, how could it be and how could... It come to pass, and, and I don't know that Abraham knew the fullness of it, but here we sit in these pews because we are part of the fullness of the promise through Abraham. And so we have this kind of this cool thing today that we can sing it as children and we should sing it as adult. The father Abraham had many sons and had many sons had father Abraham. And it goes, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. (laughs) But isn't it true? I was thinking about this, and this is pre-sermon. You know, you always got to have a pre-sermon. I was thinking about it this week. A few things were swirling through my head as I was reading through the Psalms and, and trying to describe my praise to the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, I cannot honestly say the words that I need to say to you. You are indescribable. My words are actually lackluster to who you are. So what do I do with this, Lord? Instead, it's a mystery. I'm going to worship you anyway. And I'm going to praise you. And then, as I was thinking more, I was thinking about orphans and about the fatherless. And and I, I had these fighting words growing up. And I actually caused a, quite a good commotion within the lunchroom one day in my senior year. A guy has the audacity to call me a bastard. I'm like, you don't call me a bastard? And maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, (laughs) Because down south, that was a cuss word. But the truth is, is that this guy said it to me. He knew it would push my buttons. And so we go at it. Table's clear. Yeah, I was a fighting man. Table's clear. But as I was thinking about this, there are no bastards in the kingdom. There are no orphans in the kingdom. There are no widows and widowers in the kingdom. God is our all in all. And in Christ, we have this great inheritance that we do not sit back as in having no hope. We have all the hope. And he's in Christ Jesus. He is. That's why we worship the way we worship this morning. 
And who else can be as crazy it is is to worship a lamb who's been slain from the foundations of this world. What are you Christians? Are you crazy? No. We found life. We found life in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so as we gather around his word, we are going to see how big and how awesome God is. And God is the author of life and God is the author of all things. And without him, nothing can be done. And I know somebody needs to hear this message this morning that your striving is never going to be enough, so stop. But then somebody else needs to hear it this morning is that your heart needs to be converted. You need to give it all to Jesus. You need to stop playing games with God. So we're going to hold that tension this morning, aren't we? And we hold the tension here that the gospel is what we hold on to. That Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sins and that He rose again so that we can be set free from our sin, from our bondage. That we can have beauty for ashes. So here we go. Let's pray. Father, we don't always know where to turn or always know exactly what we are to respond or say. So Lord, we turn our focus to you this morning. In you is every answer. In you is every purpose. And in you is all creation and came from you. And Lord, we do cry out to you this morning that you would convert our unconverted hearts. And Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, and I pray those areas of hardness would become soft today. And Lord, we do confess today that we need eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand so we may turn back to you. So would you give us this grace and this mercy? And Lord, I pray that you would not render our hearts hard today. But that you would soften them. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the parable of the seed. And it kind of, it follows, it's actually a book into what Jesus had just given to the crowds and then to his disciples about the sower that goes out to seed and some lands on what? The hard ground, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and then the good soil. And we talked about Jesus giving this word is that the people go on hearing, uh, but they cannot hear. They go on seeing, but they cannot see and their hearts do not understand. But if they do understand, if they do see, if they do hear, they will turn and be healed. And so we have this question that I was even left with myself is like, okay, Lord, well, well, what does this mean in where we are at? And so as I was reading through the Bible and reading in Acts, and, and if you read chapter 28 of Acts, it ends with the very thing that we talked about last week. I'll point that out in just a minute. But it's something that we as people need to hear. So I've got three points and and. and That's it, is that God's Word is enough. We can contribute, but not control. And the kingdom is a big deal. Okay, and so I want to go into first, is God's Word is enough. And then we're going to read uh, the the subject that we're in today in Mark 26 through, uh, Mark chapter 4, 26 through 32. Or 33. But first I want to explain something to you in point number one. Is that God's word is enough. God's word is enough. If you turn your Bibles over to uh, Isaiah 55...
In verse 8, And we all know these scriptures, or a lot of us have heard these scriptures before. But I think it's a good reminder this morning that this word that we hold in our hands is a powerful tool. And God says this through Isaiah the prophet, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower, And how appropriate is that for what we're in this morning? And bread to the eater. So will my word be, uh, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth, and it will not return to me empty, or depend your translation, or void, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So think about it this morning. Two things are going to happen in this service and at home. Your heart is either going to become hardened to what you hear, or it's going to become soft, and you're going to be challenged by what you hear. Either way, you're going to be challenged. It's not because the preacher preaches a good word. It's because God's word is spoken in red. And it goes out to do what it's going to do. And as we see in Scripture, that there are two forces that harden our hearts. And I didn't talk about it last week. I talked last week about the responsibility of the believer But Scripture also points out that God hardens the heart. Well, how could God harden hearts? Isn't He merciful? Isn't He just? Isn't He loving? Yes, in all His justness, in all His mercy, in all His lovingness, hardened hearts come to be. What happened to Pharaoh? As time went on and the breaking through of the kingdom came and God did all these things, He actually opposed all the gods of Egypt right to their face. And Pharaoh saw it and then Pharaoh for a moment would say, oh, let let the people go, let them worship. And then what would happen? His heart would become hard. And God rendered his heart hard. But then there's also our responsibility is it just like Israel did in Scripture and the people, because of their unbelief, they hardened their hearts. And so that puts us at a peculiar place this morning. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do with what we hear? Are we going to be doers of the word or just hearers only? Because if you're just hearers only, you are deceiving yourself. And I will tell you this much. Church was not meant for you to sit on the pews. They were just meant for us to gather. But you are meant to go out, and, and I want to go, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I just want to talk about God's word, word being a not enough. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All Scripture 
is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Think about that just for a second this morning, that all Scripture that we hold to be true is inspired by God. And we hear it all the time by a humanistic worldview, is that man made Scripture. And in part is true. Because who wrote the Bible? Man. But I will tell you this, that it was inspired by God. God breathed. And we hold to the Bible as being inerrant, infallible, and true. And you see, people say, well, if man made it, but this is what we believe, that God breathed it into existence. And if it was not so, let's figure out, well, how did the Bible come to be? Over a span of so many years, years and years, but yet it all flows together. You cannot make this stuff up. So if it's God-breathed, God-given for training in righteousness and correction and for reproof and is profitable for teaching, we need to have ears that will listen. 2 Peter chapter 1, 20-21 says this, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, of Scripture, I want to make sure this is very clear this morning. There's a lot of prophecies given today that I give no weight to. And actually, if I could challenge you, and this is side note, and I really wasn't going to say this, and maybe this is where I do get myself in trouble, if you could put an asterisk by prophet, go read the book in Jeremiah and see how many false prophets there are in that time and in our time. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit from God. Now I believe in the prophetic. I believe in prophecy. But I believe it has to line up with God's Word. And if it doesn't, and if it's wrong, it needs to be put in the garbage. But let's get back to the point. Acts chapter 28, remember I said it it ends this way. And so as I was praying this week and trying to just get deeper into it, I'm like, Lord, if you said it in Isaiah, you said it through Christ, and you say it through the Apostle Paul, I believe that word is for us today in our culture and in our society In verse 23 of Acts 28, Paul was put in a Roman prison and given much favor and he began to speak to the Jews of of the area and of course Gentiles were there also. And it says this in verse 23, When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by things spoken, but others would not believe. And I want to just say this, that just because people do not believe does not mean we are not to share. We do not know what is taking place in the hearts of men and women. 
And when they do not agree with one another, in verse 25, they begin, uh, they began leaving Paul after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and the ears they and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might they have closed their eyes. Let's, otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return. And I would what heal them, bring salvation. Bring life to the dying. And then it goes on to say there, this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And Paul goes later on and say, Until the time of the Gentiles is filled. You and I are here this morning because God has a message for us. And I just want you to know, a rendered heart that is hardened does not start overnight. But I would say this, it can be changed in the blink of an eye. And I will explain that to you this morning how But our response to God's Word will determine everything for our lives. So let's read in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is talking about the parable of the seed. And this is the point where we can contribute but not control. And He was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and sets, gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The, the soil produces crops by itself. And that word itself means can say automatically. The soil produces crops automatically. First the blade, then the head. Then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, becomes fully mature, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And I want to explain a few things to you this morning. As much as we love Jesus, and as much as we love to share His Word, we have to come to this place of realization that we are part of the harvest, but it is God who is at work in the heart of man. And our response should be, I want to be a part of what you are doing, Lord. Please use me. But don't we oftentimes measure the status of our spiritual life on how successful the harvest is? And I want to say to you this morning that that is a dangerous thing. Because God uses who He chooses to use. But isn't it so true that we want to put these people on pedestals that for some reason what they do is they have so much fruit that we want to put them on pedestals and say, man, they are so spiritual. But isn't it true that at the end of time Christ will come and He will tell a group of people that I never knew you. But they're going to say, but Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we share your gospel? But he's going to emphatically say, you never knew me. And I want to challenge us this morning is that we need to know him. And that's what was so stressed a few weeks and has been stressed, to know God and to make him known. 
And I want to tell you that the kingdom of God is like a man who casts the soil, the seed upon the soil. And we don't know how it grows, but it grows. Listen, that seed is perfect. The gospel is perfect. You do not have to add to it. You do not have to take away from it. But how many of us confess today that we try to add to it? I remember, and I thank God for godly people. And people that love Him with all their hearts. And I remember working amongst Muslims and desiring for them to come to Christ so much. That you're not careful, you want to twist the word just a bit, just to make it more palatable for them to come to Christ. As if I had any strength or any power to bring another man to Christ. And I don't, but yet, then there's this crazy thing is that God uses people. God wants to use us to speak the gospel to others. But remember, we've already shared this in 1 Corinthians when we went through the book in chapter 3 is there's this division amongst the Corinthian church because of their immaturity and it's still in the body of Christ today is that some say I'm a Paul, some say I'm a Paul, some say I'm a Jesus. Like why did Jesus get lumped in with Paul and Apollos? But then Paul says, listen, One plants, one waters, but it is God who gives the increase. You see, we must and we can't miss the point that you and I need to be seed casters. We need to be discipleship people making disciples and not stopping even though we are imperfect people and we admit that we need to be sharing this gospel this truth and then when I look out on the world today I don't see great hope I'll be honest to you, I see a lot of hardened hearts. I see Romans 1 coming to pass, as it always has in human history. It comes to pass where God turns people over to their own so-called wisdom. They forget who God is and then they begin, what? Worshiping the creature. Which we've been told that humanistic Worldview will come into the church. And it is already being, it's already here. And I will tell you at the core of humanistic thinking is that you are at the center of it all. That this is all about you. And so we have churches that have catered to this all about you and it has made a really messy, messy church. And I don't know about you, but I like it being about me. It feeds me. But I got to die to myself. And you see, I totally believe in Luke 10 too. When Jesus says this in, in this parable... And we'll go to uh, Luke 10, 2 in just a second. But he says that the farmer, he goes out to sow the seed. How it grows, he does not know. But the soil produces its fruit. Uh, it's by itself, the blade, then the head, and then it becomes mature. And immediately when it becomes true, what does he do? He creates a harvest. I don't think this is in time. I do not think this is in time. I think this is about the salvation of people. 
They are ripe. They are ready to be harvested. It is you and my job to go out and find those mature seeds that have come to mature, share the gospel, and then what? Let's put the sickle to their knees. That's a joke. Let's knock them down. No, let's go gather. And so Luke 10, 2 says this. And he was saying to them as he was going to, he pointed the 70 to send them out. He said this in Luke 10 to, and he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful. What does that mean? There are people that are ready to hear the gospel and ready to respond to the truth, but they need who? Laborers to go out into the harvest and sin. And, and, and Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest we send out laborers into the harvest. And here's the deal. And I've always wholeheartedly believed this, that the laborers are in the harvest. Let me say that again. The laborers are in the harvest. So you want to find more laborers, and we need to find people that are ready to accept the message of the news because they are the laborers. So let me ask you this morning, are you a laborer? Have you been saved? Have you been called into this eternal life with Jesus? And I beg you this morning that you not be afraid to share the good news. But let me say this. The church has not lost its relevancy at all. But where we have lost its relevancy is we have taken our eyes off of the truth and put it on temporal things. When we are called with one purpose, what is our purpose? What is our purpose? To plant seeds, to make disciples. To know Him, and then to go make Him known. And the last one that I want to talk to is, is this, is about, let me make sure I haven't skipped something, because I know I have, but maybe it will come a little bit. Oh, it was in my first point. Let me go back to my first point real quick. And I don't mean to do this to you, but when is the last time you have rendered your heart before the Lord? You've gotten before Him and said, Lord, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. You see, it's a big deal. There is a time to mourn. And there is a time to party. There's all these things that go on. And we as a church, we as a people, need to check where we're at and then we need to say, Lord, have mercy on me. That I would do what you're asking me to do. Because point number three is the kingdom is a big deal. In Mark 4.30 says this, and through 34 it goes, And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable, what story shall we represent it? And Jesus says this, It is like a mustard seed which when it is sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. And I want you to know that Jesus is being proverbial here, is that there are smaller seeds than the mustard seed. But he's making a point here. This is the smallest of seeds. That when you sow it, and the, uh, when you sow it, yet when it is sown in verse 32, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants 
and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. And it is said that some mustard plants get 10 feet high. And it's really a shrub. But yet, 10 feet high shrub is a pretty big shrub. And then Jesus goes on with many such parables. He was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And I want you to know this morning that there are some among us this morning that you don't understand everything. And I would ask you to have patience. Have patience. And I will also encourage you and say this, that you are not going to hit the spot where you all of a sudden, what I call a Gnosticism or a Gnostic view, where you come and you have just reached the Enlightenment period. It's not going to happen. But be patient. And ask the Lord to open up your eyes that you may see more. Because he goes on and he says as he did not speak to them without a parable because he was explaining everything, untying the mystery to the disciples. And I don't know about you, but I still need the mysteries untied for me to understand. But I want to talk about the kingdom for a moment, and how big the kingdom is. You see, we have this illustration in the book of Daniel that there's this big statue that was built up, and the part of the statue has different uh, strengths to it, but when you get to the bottom feet, it's really made of really clay, and it really has nothing. It's mixture, and, but it's a kingdom. And we call it the kingdoms of this world. And we discussed this uh, uh, with some friends on Friday night. Is it that the kingdom of this world, who controls the kingdom of this world? Satan. That's what Scripture says. That's not what Pastor says. That's what Scripture says. But in Daniel 2, it talks about this rock coming. As a rock, it starts out a very small rock, but as it begins to roll, and, and I can just imagine what it looks like, and it's just my imagination, is that as it's rolling down the hill, it just grows bigger and bigger, because that is what it's saying. It's huge. And it destroys the kingdoms of this world. And as I'm sitting there worshiping this morning, I am not filled with somebody that has no hope. Although in this life, I don't have much hope. But I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Jesus to return. And that His kingdom will fully come, be fully consummated, then all this will be done away with. You see, that's what the kingdom is like. And that's what Jesus is telling us. It starts off very small, but it becomes bigger and bigger. And then He explains it other places in the gospel where it's like a little leaven. The leaven's the bread. And I've... I won't go here what some scholars think about the leaven, but here's what I think about the leaven. It's my opinion. It is the kingdom permeating all society. And I want to read this to you. The rock that grows from Daniel is big, and it's the kingdom. But I have to say this, that I don't believe the kingdom of God will be fully realized until the return of Christ. And if we're not careful, and I have to say this real quickly, there's this thing called demon, or I did not mean that, dominion theology. And it's in politics, folks. It's demon, (laughs) dominion theology. And we have to be extremely careful not to mix the two. 
is that the kingdom of God, His will being done on earth as it is heaven right now at this time, is in the hearts of men and women. As the kingdom is coming in the rulership, the kingdom has already come here. But you see, I read this and it scared me one time. It says, man's attempt to create a utopia society will not work. Because I will tell you this, to, to form a true utopia society, death has to occur. So what do we hear a little bit of rumblings today? And I'm just doing this to kind of to, to stroke your feathers. Oh, if we could just get rid of those Christians how much better society would be. But I want to, to, to tell you that this has been going on for a long time, even before followers of Christ ever existed. We see it in Psalm 2, the nation's rage. We have to be extremely careful that we don't mix the two. But the kingdom of God permeates, and I want to say this, It affects all of society where it has taken root through His people. So here, I want you to know this loud and clear. The kingdom does affect society. It does. We are here today because what the kingdom has done in America's life. But we also have to realize that maybe God is doing a new thing with this church. That He wants us to be salt and light no matter how dark it gets. I don't know if you've known this, but we are about, we've always been about 20, 30 years behind Europe. And I don't know why. I have no clue. But they are a post-Christian society. Post-Christian. And that is knocking at our doors. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to wave the white flag. We're going to stand strong. And we're going to believe that the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. And so here's what I want to share with you before you get too stressed and high-strung, and I will be honest with you, stressed, high-strung people stress me out. And it doesn't take me long before I'm like kind of going crazy. And I had this, and I said, should I share it? And I will, and it's all fun. When I say this, this is fun. So please hear me. I'm saying this in gentleness and fun. Is that that I hear this sometimes, Pastor, we need to do this. We need to do this and we need to do that. And I I start to get stressed. And then I do nothing. It's a joke. But let me interpret that statement to you. You need to do this, Pastor. This is the way we need to do church. But I want to tell you what I believe church is about. It is about gathering around God's Word, studying it together, and praising His name. That's what we call church. That's organized church. But that is not the church. It's part of the church. Going outside of these four walls and being the true church. But here's the deal. If you come to me and you say we should do this, I would ask you to first say, what am I willing to do for God's kingdom? Because here's the deal. It's just like last night. They, the, the ushers got together and, and they had a meal together and it was real sweet. 
And our dream here at Cornerstone is that we would have the leaders that are leading ministry, getting the people that are under the ministry they're doing, serving together, to get together, to fellowship together, to have life together. Because we know that true life on life cannot be done in these pews. But it doesn't mean we don't gather. So ask what Not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. (laughs) You know know what I mean. But there's this concept I was also thinking about. Jesus has promised us a rest. So I want to ask us this morning, is it possible to rest while you work? Is it possible to rest while you work? And I will say emphatically it is, and here's how. That if you are working in the kingdom, the results do not belong to you. You need to do things with excellence and faithfulness. But until you realize that it all belongs to the Lord, you cannot find true rest. And it's the same with our salvation. Until we find Jesus to be our all in all, we will find no rest. So I want to challenge us this morning. Even though I prep, pray, and I'm praying for you on a constant basis, I can do nothing for you. But I want to ask you this morning, Is the Holy Spirit dealing with you? This isn't for everybody, but this is a stern warning for somebody. You need Jesus. Because what happens when I talked about rendering our hearts before Him, we come back to this situation and we say, Lord, I've rendered my heart before you, but I'm not changing. And if we're not careful, we need to ask the question, why not? Because Jesus says, those who I set free will be free indeed. So you see, part of the gospel message for you, for somebody this morning, is that Jesus has set you free from your bondage and from your sin. but are you willing to let it go? You may struggle with the temptation to fall back into it, but are you willing to say, no, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And I will say this, that that is a grace of Jesus to do that for us, isn't it? We all know those who have come to a true place of repentance, a true place of rendering your heart, when you get back up, you realize, man, that was all by the grace of God that He brought me to this place of sorrow and to the cross. So how can we apply this word to our lives and Jed and Sister Brenda would come is how we can apply this word is that I feel that that we need to watch over our hearts by crying out to the Father and saying, Lord, I'm here. Let me open up my eyes. Let me open up my heart. Let me open up my ears to You, please. And that You can pray that the Lord would use His Word to change lives. You see, I don't talk about it much, but we need to talk about it, is there's this element to our witnessing that needs much, much, much prayer.
And we need to seek the Lord that He would use us to speak to others. But first, we need to spend ample time time in prayer and asking the Lord to soften the hardened heart. And then remember that the results belong to Him. And so I want to challenge you today, if you are truly born again believer, that I want you to go and tell someone the good news that the God of all creation has kept His promise by sending His Son to save us from the curse and the wrath to come. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to pray together and we're going to end in worship. And I will admit to you this morning that we are making much of the gospel. And we will continue to make much of the gospel. And our prayer for you this morning as we pray day and night for this church and for Cornerstone is that anyone that doesn't know Jesus would come to know Him in a real way. And that's our prayer for you this morning. And so if that is you, I would call you to a place of asking Jesus to be Lord of all. And you see, the the hard part of this all is that some people don't want to take the steps that it takes to truly surrender. And I want to call you to a place of surrender. In a place of confession. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today that it's not by man's wisdom or by our might or by our strength. But we truly stand before you today, Father, just saying that the Spirit has drawn us to you, Lord. Is your grace upon our lives today that we can even call you Father? The children of the Most High God, that is who we are, Lord, in your Son, Jesus Christ. But Lord, we realize today that there are people among us today that don't truly know you. And Lord, we also know that outside of these four walls that are, there are people that do not truly know You. And we ask You, Lord, that You would give us faith, boldness, and confidence to spread the seed of the Gospel. And Lord, we will trust You that this seed will grow into a mighty tree into a mighty oak of righteousness. And we look to you, Christ, and we just say we trust in your all-sufficiency and that you are all-powerful and you are all-knowing. Would you please kindly, by your mercy, deal with our hearts today as you will. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.